It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 625 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation with my guest. Joining me on the show is Bill Ekstrom. He's the president of the EC Cell Institute. And, you know, Bill's been studying sales and sales leaders for a long time. In today's conversation, we're going to explore the value of coaching in sales, especially coaching by frontline sales managers. And we'll start by looking at the economic value of a sales manager. That's something that oftentimes isn't being considered. You know, how you measure that economic value. And we'll talk about how coaching and how effective coaching in particular is the key to optimizing that economic value of your frontline sales manager. And Bill's also going to share what his research has found are the essential traits and habits of a good coach. So you'll make sure you stick around. For this, great content coming up. If you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 625. Now, if you're a top performer and you're looking in your current role and you're looking for fresh challenge to take your career to the next level, then you should consider CenturyLink to be at the top of your list. With its recent acquisition of Level 3, the new CenturyLink is a world leader in providing cloud, security, real-time communications, hybrid IT, and managed services. So if you want the excitement, the challenge, and the rewards that come from selling industry-leading services and solutions to the enterprise, then visit CenturyLink.com forward slash accelerate and join their talent community and once you join a member of their talent team will reach out to you to connect and see if a career at CenturyLink might be the right step for you all right let's jump right into it bill ekstrom bill welcome to accelerate well thank you andy it's fun to be here oh pleasure to have you here so start the show with the standard question i ask all my guests and today that question is in your opinion, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? Uh, poor coaching. Poor coaching. Yes. Poor coaching, um, poor leadership at the, uh, from the executive level down the front line. <laughs> I'm just laughing because it's like, you can suddenly hear all these sales reps writing this down. See, it's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, they still they still own their number. That's certainly. True. But it's um, their their ability to to get to you know peak levels of performance. Um, you know, it's it's interesting, Andy. We've seen a research that thirty percent of of sales managers actually inhibit performance. It means they're blocking their people on their teams from selling more, and they don't even know they're doing it. I'm surprised it's that low. <laughs> well, those are the ones that are just blocking it. And we're not talking about those that you know are, are inhibiting some other way. Yeah. Well, let, we're going to jump into that because that that that's a very interesting topic, and and I want to, like I said, dive into that a little bit more. So, um, you had read an article you'd written uh, about the United Airlines incident where the passenger was dragged off the plane. And we're not going to talk about that incident, but you, in the article you said some things that, that uh, triggered a lot of thoughts. And I thought, well, let's, let's explore some of those because they're aligned with what we want to talk about in terms of coaching and so on. So you have a quote in the article you said, since the performance of a team is a reflection of how the team is coached, one can accurately assume that United treats their employees 
in a fashion consistent with how employees treat customers. And so I just that one sentence is like, okay, wow, there's a lot there. <laughs> so oh, let's let's talk with the first one. So I'll sort of take an excerpt. You say, since the performance of a team is a reflection of how the team is coached. So let let's start with terms because you know people interchangeably use coaching and managing, and, and they're not the same, right? I mean, what in your mind, what's what's the difference between coaching and managing? Um, Andy, we see coaching as not just um, a verb, but it's also a noun. It's, just, it's a strategic role. We, when, when we look at really what managing is, which is defining inputs and being able to accurately predict outcomes, utilizing systems and processes and tools. That's, you know, the science and study management came about in the industrial era in our country. Mm-hmm. Um, and coaching, great coaches know how to manage. So it's, having that skill to manage processes and systems and tools and drive predictable outcomes, that's a great skill to have. But, and coaches are great at doing that, but it doesn't just stop there. We define coaching as creating processes, relationships, and growth experiences. So coaching we see as all-encompassing. Great coaches know how to manage. Great coaches know how to lead. Great coaches know how to identify and acquire talent. Great coaches know how to plan. Great coaches know how to execute and motivate. And so we see it as kind of the overarching uh, role, especially when you look at it can, in, in an athletic sense. And athletics is, is a great petri dish for business in that regard. So I don't know if that makes sense, but well, yeah, we, we, we look at it as a, broad, a very broad term. Well, I, mean, I think that, that what I see when I talk to sales leaders and is that many sales leaders or managers assume that coaching is tactical. You know, they, and we'll take the sports analogies, is when people look at a pro football team and they see the coach standing on the sideline or the defensive coordinator or the offensive coordinator up in the box or whatever, what they see is somebody doing something very tactical. And I think that that oftentimes you'll talk to somebody about um, coaching, a sales leader about coaching, and they'll say, "Well, yeah, we you know we do the deal coaching, you know, we do the pipeline reviews, and we say, hey, here's the strategy we need to put together for this deal." Mm-hmm. And you know, it's very to me that's situational. It's very that's managing to me to, to a large degree. You know, I, I think coaching being more about sort of the last of the three words you used is is more about development of the individual. Well, you know, and you said that well, Andy, if you look at a coach and what we, what we tell, tell leaders all the time, if, if a sales, here's the example I use. If a, if a manager goes on sales manager goes on vacation, the salespeople don't quit. It's not like they stay home and don't come to work. They still work. They still sell. And so the economic value a manager brings, or what we call a coach, brings to a team is how much more will they sell with the manager in the role. So if a sales team will sell $10 million without a coach, how much will they sell with the coach? Mm-hmm. $12 million, $14 million? Well, that gap is what we call discretionary effort. A coach's role is to drive discretionary effort from the people on their team. And in sales, it's easy to measure, at least from how we approach it, it's easy to measure. 
and measure, the economic value coach measure, brings measure is how? that differential. So how are you measuring that discretionary effort? And I love the term. Oh, um, we measure it through uh, quantity of coaching and quality of coaching. And, and the reason that's so fun to do in sales is because everything in sales gets measured, right? I mean, everybody knows how much gets sold, unlike other departments within a business. Um, so if we understand what a coach is doing, their activities, if we're able to measure how well they're doing it through the eyes of the people on their team, then we can correlate activities and behaviors to team performance. And then you can compare it across division and department and things like that. So coaching, you know, it's always historically been viewed as, as a soft skill, but it's not anymore. It's, it's, a, it's a metric. Uh, the coaching activities are metrics that um, we see in our research are more, you know, more so or just as important as salesperson metrics. Now we're off topic of the United article. But. Well, no, no, no. That's, hey, this, we're going where the discussion leads. So I'm just sort of thinking about uh, this, this idea about inspiring or driving discretionary effort from the team is, is yeah, again, what's, what's the reflection of that? You know, what's the metric that reflects discretionary effort? Is it more well, sales? Is it more activities? No. Well, it's it, it, what we have to look at. We look at from a coaching perspective. So what is it? Let's say, Andy, that you're I'm a salesperson. You're my you're my coach. You're my manager. What is it that you and I do together that drives discretionary effort from me? And we see in the research that there there's a lot of things, of course, but there are five primary things that you and I need to do. And that is. Um, are we doing consistent one-to-one meetings? Do you and I throughout the year, have we created a career development plan for me? And mm-hmm. are we review, reviewing it as the year goes? Are we doing consistent team meetings with the uh, with people on our team? Uh, the fourth one is when you and I work together. So when you, go, when you and I do a ride along and you're with me in the field, it's, Am I providing you joint call plans when you and I work together? That's another key activity. And the last one being, um, are you objectively feeding back to me how well I am executing against a stated methodology, sales methodology? So we call those five high payoff activities. Now, just because somebody does those doesn't mean they do them well. So that's where the quality component comes in. Um, to give you an example, let's say you and I do a one-on-one, we sit down and every single one-on-one, all you want to talk about was what's in my pipeline, my activity metrics, and in certain cases. That leads to demotivation. If you don't know anything about me, if you don't care about me as a person, right? It's th- that speaks to the quality of the one-on-one meeting. So there's a quantity component and a quality component around those five high payoff activities. And if if this is being done consistently, then like I said at some point <laughs> we get to this, you know the measurement aspect. At some point, it's going to be reflected in enhanced performance or or something, right? Exactly, exactly. I mean, we, we have studies we've done with organizations that you know where half of their managers elected not to improve the quantity and quality of their coaching, um, or they improved the quantity of the coaching just a little bit. But the other half of the team, of the sales management team, 
really focused on not just the quantity of their coaching, but the quality of the coaching. And they grew their coaching quality scores by like 17%, which is a significant jump in quality. And they increased sales. Their teams averaged a $6.25 million increase in performance. The other half, those that didn't improve their quality at all over that same period of time, actually decreased on their percent to go by 9%. So those are the things you can bring together and, and, and gets back to just this big picture thing. I think sales has been missing the root cause of performance forever. And it's not what the salespeople are doing, it's what the coach is doing. So when we can figure out what the coach is doing, we can have the biggest impact. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, that the one of the divides that still exists, not just the divide between managing and coaching, is that what you're seeing, at least in certain segments, is that given sort of the, the influx of transparency because of technology into the sales process and yet every little aspect can be measured is that you see this tendency to rely more on the metrics rather than, you know, what you talk about is, you know, is coaching the individual as a human being. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. It's, we, we had a kind of our say, you know, one time they said, Bill, we know when our salespeople stop for a cup of coffee. We know when they go into a donut store because mm-hmm. we have GPS. We literally track their every move. But here's what's interesting is what he said next. He said, but I can't tell you where my sales leaders were last week, let alone last month. I know they were working. I know they were out there in the field somewhere. But in terms of understanding what they were doing or how well they're doing it, because I have no idea. And that right there is endemic to yes. almost every single organization, every single business in the world. Yeah, I mean, they, they very rarely think that the root cause is the sales leaders unless numbers are down. But right. people don't have this perspective. It's like, well, why aren't we doing better? You yeah. know, there, <laughs> in athletics, Andy, when teams aren't performing, who gets axed? Yeah, I mean, the coach oftentimes, right? Right. And in sales, we are so quick to be head salespeople as opposed to who brought them in, who's developing them, who's, you know, and that's, well, and that's, the, that's what a coach owns. <laughs> right. But that's that, that's because I think in, in business, right, they tend to believe, you know, you always hear the cliches, you know, the, the, uh, the coach gets fired because, you know, the team's not doing well. They go interview the players and they go, well, yeah, so sorry to see him go. And the coaches aren't playing. It's on us, right? <laughs> the coaches don't play the game. Um, but yeah, it's the other way around oftentimes in business, right? It's like, yeah. yeah. And, when we re- and when we ask executives from C from levels all the way down to, to like VPs of sales, we ask a question all the time. Is the performance of a team or a, a reflection of how the team is coached? And I would say 98, 97, 98% of the time, it's, oh, well, of course, absolutely they are. Okay, good. Then how many, re- how much of your resources are going into your coaches? Oh, and yeah. Virtually not, quiet. right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, mean, I just saw a figure, well, within the last year about the amount invested in sales management, tra- sales management training, and it's, it's uh, yeah, it's virtually none. 
Right. Like but the good, well, and, and the good news is it, it's going up to some degree. I mean, people are starting to recognize. I think companies like us are, are being loud enough to saying, hey, you know, if you don't get on this, you know, proverbial money ball bandwagon, you're going to be left in the dust. Well, and I think one of the, the fallacies that too many companies operate upon, and, and this is a pressure that, that sales leaders feel as well, is that, well, I can't ask for help because I was hired on the assumption that I know what I'm doing. Right? Yes, Andy, that is. It, and, oh, and I'm in management now, so therefore I should know it all. I should know what I'm doing. And it doesn't matter whether it's frontline manager, a, a, you know, sales manager, sales director, you know, regional VP or VP sales, CRO. They all need coaches. Exactly. I mean, at what point in your career or your life do you act like a finished product? The moment you stop. Is it right. Right. The moment you stop going and getting ahead or moving forward. Yeah. Right. And, and to your point, it, it, we see that it's it, that our director of research calls that a, a sales management paradigm. She, it, she just said, we get into management and the development just ceases. And not only that, you know, we quit. We, we, you know, if I came from sales, I quit asking questions. I quit pulling people along. And all of a sudden, I'm just telling people what to do and I start to push. And I just, you know, it's just interesting dynamic. Well, again, I think that that's because that is sort of the role model that exists for them, right? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I recently had occasion to use a Vince Lombardi quote in an article I wrote. And I grew up in Wisconsin when Vince was uh, coaching the, the Packers. But when you look at, at sort of the legacy of, of Vince Lombardi, what people talk about is, and all the quotes, you know, literally book of quotes, Vince Lombardi quotes, they're all about the person developing their own capabilities, right? You know, the people that, that he had responsibility for, developing the habits and the disciplines and the skills and the knowledge to succeed and it was almost none about the tactics and strategies of the game. Yeah. yeah I mean, you never, John Wooden said in his book. Right. Another example. Two biggest mistakes I made were A, thinking because I knew the game, I was going to be great at it. And B, that I had to treat all my players the same way. Right. And it was never about the X's and O's. And I always loved because he always said, you know, yeah, people say I'm a great coach, but, you know, guys, that can't be measured till like 20 years later. Let's see what my players are doing. Well, that's and then you can tell me whether or not I was a good coach. Right. And that's why I think it's so rare that, that even though we use athletics as an example, as I think there are, you know, part of the reason I think we have such rapid turnover in, in coaching ranks, let's say, these days. You know, you look, look at somebody like Lombardi, you look at somebody like Bill Walsh, you know, the title of his memoir is, you know, the score will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not, it's not about right? it's not about the things that you think that you have to control. It's about the people. Right. Exactly. That's, that's exactly right. And, and in sales, Andy, we, we, don't, we don't help the, these coaches understand that when, when they go from, from wherever they were, likely in the field or in the sales role to a, to a coaching role, they're usually just kind of given a company credit card and they say, here's your team and go get your number. I mean, but when we bring them in sales, we put them through training, we give them a methodology, we track mm. what they do, we report back, we, you know, and then they go into this coaching room and say, Hey, good luck, tiger. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's, and there's there's these behaviors that are developing. Again, somewhat as a uh, a result of some of the technology and the data that we have access to, that we think that we can sort of stop paying attention to the human aspect of coaching and managing people. You know, I was at a, a conference, a very well attended conference uh, in the tech business, and had a panel of VPs, sales up talking about you know some of the things they do, hiring and retaining talent. And one guy made a statement that got all these people nodding their head in the room. I was really stunned. He says, well, yeah, we don't bother with one-on-ones anymore. We found they weren't productive. <laughs> I'm like, ruh <laughs> Yeah. Houston, we have a problem. Because yeah. if, if you really embrace that mindset, then to the point you made is it really in the article we can start to talk about this is is the next statement that I thought was really interesting is you know you said you can assume that the way somebody treats their employees is consistent with how their employees treat customers and yeah I think the bigger point is that yeah employees in general but sales in particular they model how to treat their customers based on how they're treated by management exactly. Exactly. I mean, modeling is, is not something that's new, right? That's been around. People have understood that forever. Um, we just forget, have a tendency to forget about it in business. And again, that's why it, it's so important for organizations to begin to understand that they need to measure and quantify their managerial coaching behaviors. Otherwise, you don't know. You could be creating culturally that, that you know, that environment that existed at, at United Airlines. I mean, I used to be, I was a 1K flyer with United at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, I mean, I think the perfect- I just, I've never had a positive experience with them in many, many, many years. <laughs> I mean, I don't fly them anymore. anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I stopped long ago because, yeah, the, the experience of flying in United was, was so bad. But, but I, you know, the thing that just sort of, you know, stuns me is you have companies that are, let's say, on the sales side are you know investing all this money into, you know, becoming customer centric sellers and you know customer centric in our support and customer success organizations, but it's not congruent with how management is treating their and managing their teams. Right. Look at Wells Fargo. Look at, at Wells Fargo. What at what point do you know is that management team held accountable? What and and shame on them. For not Still measuring for how the salespeople were feeling by the management. You know, it, it, na- naivete is no longer an excuse. Yeah, no, it's like, yeah, it's like saying ignorance of the law is no excuse. I mean, it's, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you have, you know, this, this sort of bad behavior that's sanctioned at the top levels. And, you know, people, it's forced down upon the employees. And, you know, what do you think is going to happen? Right. That's the way and, the employees and, and are going to treat the customers. And we're, we're focusing on, on the negative, and you and I both realize that, but there still are a chunk of, of coaches out there in business that really do it well. And, oh, absolutely. And their teams are performing, numbers are growing, and, and really that's what's fun. It, it's not figuring out what the bad ones are doing. It's figuring out what the great ones are doing. And then helping others emulate and, and utilize those best practices. And and that's really where the fun is. Yeah. Well, I think that going back to sports for a second is, is 
you know, I'm always sort of amused in professional sports, especially baseball. You know, they tend to, you know, recycle and re <laughs> all these retread managers that never had success before and keep bringing them back and time and time again. And, you know, for the most part, they get mediocre results, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then you see a team will bring that's been struggling will bring in somebody. And oftentimes it's not just a new coach. It could be a new general manager, a new president. And what you find is that, wow, the organization makes a difference. I mean, mm-hmm. look look at the Patriots, right? If, <laughs> I'm not a Patriot lover by any stretch of imagination, but but that organization is succeeding, right? And they bring in people that players that are not considered the best at all their positions, and you know they're famous for being able to fit people into their system. That's that's coaching, right? It's that's exactly right, Andy. And that that's it's all that's what it always boils down to. But then the question of the hour is, why haven't organizations ever focused on that level? You know, why is it always about the salesperson? What, you know, the average, the average sales manager is accountable for roughly 18 million of revenue and the average salesperson is accountable for 1.7 million, but yet 95% of the resources go to the salesperson? Seems backwards. Yeah, I mean, if you're trying to influence outcomes right because right, exactly yeah very well said yeah yeah no it's absolutely the case so and that sort of gets back to a sort of point i was gonna say is that 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 the focus of the literature is always about improving the skills and knowledge of the sellers but we invest very little in our managed frontline managers and our coaches or even more senior managers and so when you look at it say okay as an individual i'm listening to this as a you know, sales manager in a company, I get it. Yeah, I'm there. I'm not doing a good enough job coaching. I may not get support from my boss for this. You know, where do I start by investing in myself to get better at it? You mean if, let me paraphrase that. So let's say I'm a frontline, I'm a frontline coach. And my company's and not going to, they're not going to send me to training for becoming a better, I need to do it somewhat on my own. Where do I start? Oh, okay. Um, well, first of all, a, to those people out there, kudos to them, because they are there, they do exist. People are wanting to know, hey, how do I do this? Um, and I would tell them, it, it, it's never a single thing. It's a conglomeration of many things. And it, it's, it starts with reading, updating yourself on, you know, number one, number two, going into um, programs and, and listening to different ways, you know, we have gotten, we've, for example, we have gotten so much of our material. Um, let me rephrase that. We have utilized outside experts to help us gauge our research and how we help people get better. And one of the primary areas where we pay so much attention to are sports psychologists and and hearing what they do to get people to peak performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've written books that we can all buy. Yeah. I, arguably one of the best ones that I've ever read, Barnum, is, is by a gentleman by the name of Dr. Peter Jensen. And Dr. Jensen is an Olympic sports psychologist in Toronto. And um, I've gotten to know him. He's an amazing man, wonderful man. But he wrote a book called um, The Third Factor, or excuse me, igniting the third factor. 
And in there, he diagrams out the principles of performance through coaching. And he adapts his high-performance athletes into business. And, and he's fascinating because he also teaches in his spare time uh, sales management at the Queen's University. Hmm. And, and when I was able to ask him about that, I said, okay, Peter, help me understand this. You're an Olympic sports coach and you teach sales management. And he said, well, Bill, he said, it's pretty easy. He said, everything I teach in high-performance sport, we should be teaching sales managers to do in sales. He said, I see more crossover from sport to business in sales than any other profession. Very interesting. That, uh, yeah. that book's going on my list. I've not read that one. Yeah, and he, he'd be fun for you to interview sometime, too. He's a fascinating man. So what's maybe one of the key things from that book that you could share with, with the audience? Um, I'll never forget, and I can't remember if this is something that it was in his book or that he just told me. But he said, great coaches have a developmental bias. And I said, okay, what do you mean developmental bias? And he said, when I, he said, when I look at an athlete and I get to know an athlete, I see something in that person they don't even know about themselves. I see things they can do and the potential of doing things they, they haven't even thought of yet. And it's my job to help them ignite that within that person. They own it, but I have to help them discover it and work towards it. And I love that term developmental mm -hmm. bias. You can tell I get passionate about that. No, I like that I, a lot. It, it's, it's a fascinating, and that's what we do here. I mean, I'm, I'm so into that. My kids are always on me about, gee, dad, you know, you ever accept things at face value? Well, of course I do, but... You know, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I have, that's what I've been. <laughs> that's one of my uh, flaws, I think, has been pointed out to me. Though I tend <laughs> to think it's a strength, but yeah, I've, I think my ex-wife pointed that out to me that I, I never take things <laughs> at, at face value. Um, yeah, no, I think that's that's a, such a great point because someone once asked me, "Is you know what what have been the highlights of my career as a sales manager, and a sales leader, and?" The examples I always point to are the people that no one thought could do what they ended up doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, well, one case where I was with one company and and there's this employee that just sort of actually had been a fairly senior level guy, had been a director level guy in the organization, but sort of bounced from, he was an engineer, hadn't been in ever sales, got bounced from engineering to uh, network management to customer service to blah blah blah, and finally the CEO comes to me and says, "Look, you know, he's a really nice guy. Everybody really loved him, but you know, we're just we've run out of places for for this gentleman to go. Uh, you know, it's up to you." And mm -hmm. this guy was just he had some personal issues he was dealing with and so on. But yeah, over the course of six months. We were able to get him turned around, and he was on the, on the path to becoming, yeah, you know, and had always started performing at an extremely high level. Um, unfortunately, he passed away real suddenly. It was really shocking for oh, everybody because that's sad. I'm sorry. No, but it was a guy that just you know had turned it around, and yeah. you know, obviously, I didn't have everything to do with that. I think I helped him see that he could. Well, th yeah, and, that, but and you, I think you that said was something the, very critical there. I helped him see he could. Yeah. Why is it no one else took the time to help him see that? 
Yeah, because they didn't, you know, invest in him in such a way to help him see that. Right. Yeah, because he he did it. I didn't do it. He did it. I, just, I mean, it gets back to the discretionary for sale. If salespeople will sell without you, why are you in the role? That's to help them get to different places. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Bill, unfortunately, we run out of time. Uh, <laughs> we'll have you come back and we'll talk some more. We just touch the surface of things I wanted to talk about. So um, tell people how they can find out more about you and connect with you. Oh, uh, well, thank you for that opportunity. Um, Bill Ekstrom, our company is called the Excel Institute, which is E-C-S-E-L-L Institute. Uh, they can call, uh, get in touch with me at bextrom at excelinstitute.com, and Ekstrom is E-C-K-S-T-R-O-M. Um, if they're interested in performance topic, I, I, I did a TED Talk uh, in January that has gone viral. That's been really, really fun, and that's called Why Comfort Will Ruin Your Life, and it really all boils back to coaching. Um, and I think, you know, Twitter, it's B Ekstrom and, um, yeah, just find, find a way you, if they go to Excel Institute, they'll find me. And if you're a Cornhusker fan and you just want to have somebody to commiserate with, uh, yeah, Bill would be glad to do that. <laughs> oh, there's so much we could talk about right now. New athletic director, Oh, the coaching carousel is going to be some conversation. All right. I'll, I'll let somebody contact you and talk to you about that. So, Bill, thanks again. And uh, friends, thank you for spending this time with us today. Make sure you come back. Join us for our next great episode of Accelerate. Until then, really appreciate if you take a minute. Go to iTunes. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a review. We want to hear from you what uh, we can do to make this a better experience for you. So thanks again for joining me. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>